RadioInfluence.com. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Friday edition of the Dark to Light podcast again with beans. It's like your lucky week or not, depending on how you feel. <laughs> I, uh, I'm i here today alone flying solo again. Frank's got some stuff he's taking care of. All good. He'll be back on Monday and then he's got some cool stuff going on next week. But I'll let him tell you about what that is. Super interesting. Awesome stuff. But we're going to try and see how we do today. I am one day post op on my poor mouth. So I'm in a lot of pain, uh, but I wanted to get a show out for you and talk about some stuff specifically the Supreme court. Okay. The Supreme court put out the, the uh, decision yesterday about very, very narrowly. Let's talk about this very narrowly, whether or not when somebody leaves their home in New York, they should be able to carry their weapon without being intruded upon. And so what what Kathy Hochul and New York government had said was, look, you have to prove to us why it is you need to carry your weapon outside of your home, basically. And that is counterintuitive to everything. It's counterintuitive to everything. Uh, Kathy Hochul, I have a couple clips of her today. But we'll listen to him real quick before we get into what Justice Alito did to the leftist propagandists on the court. Here we go. Shocking absolutely shocking that they have taken away our right to have reasonable restrictions. We can have restrictions on speech. You can't yell fire in a crowded theater. But somehow there's no restrictions allowed on the Second Amendment. This is New York. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is New York. One of the most restrictive places to own a firearm in the entire country. And again, as we talked about on Wednesday, the Uvalde shooting has ushered in the passage of what can only be described as a mishmash of nonsense gun legislation coupled with pork for Medicaid and telehealth and all kinds of other crap that doesn't belong in there that the Senate and 15 Republican, 15 jerk, 15 idiots supposedly with an R next to their name, including my senator here in South Carolina, Lindsey Graham, pushed through the Senate yesterday. Red flag expansion, all kinds of other stuff, which now, to be honest, after this decision from the Supremes, like some of the stuff in that legislation is, un, is I mean, it's just null and void. It's moot. So whatever. I mean, and because of the ineptitude of all of those idiots, the ineptitude and the planning, apparently, that went into the stall in Uvalde, Texas, that allowed the slaughter of 21 people. We got this monstrosity. There's one Kathy Hochul clip. Here's another one. And I'm sorry this dark day has come. Dark day. They were supposed to go back to what was in place since 1788 when the Constitution of the United States of America was ratified. And I would like to point out to the Supreme Court justices that the only weapons at the time were muskets. Oh, please, with the muskets (laughs) argument, okay? Please, with the muskets argument, when the muskets argument is made, it's because everyone else had muskets, too. You freaking moron. This woman is an idiot. Listen, there's a very crowded field on the Republican side for New York governor, including Giuliani and uh, Lee Zeldin. And I think that I think that 
any one of the people on the Republican side running for governor in New York would be light years better than Kathy Hochul or Chul or however you want to say her name. Muskets, muskets, the musket argument, the stupid musket argument. Keith Olbermann, he said this, <laughs> it's become necessary. <laughs> it's become necessary to dissolve the Supreme Court of the United States. The first step is for a state that the court has now forced guns upon to ignore this ruling. Great, you're a court. Why and how do you think you can enforce your rulings? Okay, that's fine by me. That's fine by me. Let all the J6 folks out of jail. They're a court. They enforced a ruling keeping these people unlawfully imprisoned for two years now. Let the, everybody leave. Open the jails, Keith Olbermann. Open them on up. There is no law and order here. You need to be a permitted gun owner in New York to have concealed carry. And the, the best part of all of this, we put an article out last night or yesterday afternoon, I should say. The day just blurs together yesterday. Terrible. I just have to say Supreme Court chalks up win for Second Amendment by Wendy Mahoney. The Supreme Court handed a significant win to supporters of the Second Amendment Thursday in its ruling on New York State Rifle and Pistol Association v. Bruin. Clarence Thomas argued for the majority. I believe it was Breyer who dissented. And Alito, Alito wrote a scorching response to Breyer's dissent. It's remarkable. And we're going to uh, we're going to read it because it's that good. It's that good. So basically, the Breyer led uh, dissent takes all of these statistics about gun violence over the past like few years and this year and tries to use that to disallow concealed carry in New York by legal gun owners, right? And so Alito just takes it step by step and dissects it completely. And I just want to, I want to read it because it's really, really good. It's really good. And I, I, it's perfect. Okay, everyone bear with me. Here it is. This is what Alito said in his own separate standalone alone, um, rebuke a separate concurring opinion just to destroy the claims of the of the leftist judges. He says this much of the dissent seems designed to obscure the specific question the court has decided. And therefore, it may be helpful to provide a succinct summary of what we've actually held in District of Columbia versus Heller. The court concluded that the Second Amendment protects the right to keep a handgun in the home for self-defense. Heller found that the amendment codified a pre-existing right and that this right was regarded at the time of the amendment's adoption as rooted in the natural right of resistance and self-preservation, the inherent right of self-defense. Again, the Constitution doesn't grant us any rights, okay? It protects the rights we have been bestowed by God. That is what the document is to do, protect our inherent human rights as bestowed by God. So all of these musket people can take a seat. The inherent right to self-defense is central to, to the Second Amendment right. Although Heller concerned the possession of a handgun in the home, the key point that we decided was that the people, not just members of the, quote, militia, which is basically the people, by the way, have the right to use a firearm to defend themselves. And because many people face a serious risk of lethal violence when they venture outside their homes, the Second Amendment was understood at the time of adoption to apply under those circumstances. The court's exhaustive historical survey establishes that point very clearly. And today's decision, therefore, holds that a state may not enforce a law like New York Sullivan law that effectively prevents its law abiding residents from carrying a gun for this purpose. That is all we decide. 
Our holding decides nothing about who may lawfully possess a firearm or the requirements that must be met to buy a gun, nor does it decide anything about the kinds of weapons that people may possess, nor have we disturbed anything that we said in Heller or McDonald's v. Chicago about the restrictions that may be imposed on the possession or carrying of guns. In light of what we have actually held, it is hard to see what legitimate purpose can possibly be served by most of the dissent's lengthy introductory section. See posts at one through eight. Why, for example, does the dissent think it's relevant to recount the mass shootings that have occurred in recent years? Does the dissent think that laws like New York's prevent or deter such atrocities? Will a person bent on carrying out a mass shooting be stopped if he knows it's illegal to carry a handgun outside the home? And how does the dissent account for the fact that one of the mass shootings near the top of its list took place in Buffalo, New York? (laughs) The New York law at issue here obviously didn't stop that perpetrator. What is the relevance of statistics about the use of guns to commit suicide? Does the dissent think that a lot of people who possess guns in their homes will be stopped or deterred from shooting themselves if they can't lawfully take them outside? Remember, the very narrow decision they have made is about concealed carry outside the home. The dissent cites statistics about the use of guns in domestic disputes, but it doesn't explain why these statistics are relevant to the question presented in the case. How many of the cases involving the use of a gun in a domestic dispute occur outside the home and how many are prevented by laws like New York's? The dissent cites cites statistics on children and adolescents killed by guns. But what does this have to do with the question of whether an adult who is licensed to possess a handgun may be prohibited from carrying it outside the home? Again, this is what they do. They conflate things. They propagandize people. And this is this. These justices are who the, the, the uniparty and the left in this country want to be running the Supreme Court Thank God for Alito and Thomas and some of the others. I can't I can't always be a fan of Gorsuch and uh, Kavanaugh and and Berman Jackson, but they're far better than Sotomayor and Breyer. That's for damn sure. The dissent cites the large number of guns in private hands, nearly 400 million. But it doesn't explain what this statistic has to do with the question of whether a person who already has the right to keep a gun in their home for self-defense is likely to be deterred from acquiring a gun by the knowledge that the gun cannot be carried outside the home. And while the dissent seemingly thinks that the ubiquity of guns in our country's high level of gun violence provide reasons for sustaining the New York law, the dissent appears not to understand that it is these very facts that cause law-abiding citizens to feel the need to carry a gun for self-defense. No one apparently knows how many of the 400 million privately held guns are in the hands of criminals, but there can be little doubt that many muggers and rapists are armed and are undeterred by the Sullivan Law. Each year, the New York City Police Department confiscates thousands of guns, and it is unfair to assume that the number of guns seized is a fraction of the total number held unlawfully. It is fair to assume, I'm sorry. The police can't disarm every person who acquires a gun for use in criminal activity, nor can they provide bodyguard protection for the state's nearly 20 million residents or the 8.8 million people who live in New York City. Some of these people live in high crime neighborhoods. Some must traverse dark and dangerous streets in order to reach their homes after work or other evening activities. Some are members of groups whose members feel especially vulnerable. And some of these people reasonably believe that unless they can brandish or, if necessary, use a handgun in the case of attack, they may be murdered, raped, or suffer some other serious injury. Ordinary citizens frequently use firearms to protect themselves from criminal attack. And according to survey data, defensive firearm use occurs up to 2.5 million times per year. 
I reiterate, all that we decide in this case is that the Second Amendment protects the right of law-abiding people to carry a gun outside of the home for self-defense and that the Sullivan Law, which makes that virtually impossible for most New Yorkers, is unconstitutional. The Sullivan Law, Tracy speaking, held that you had approved to the government why you needed to carry a gun outside of your home. Again, we're talking about legally permitted gun owners, not criminals who don't give a shh about the law anyway, but people who have legally obtained a permit to have a firearm. If you remember the, the um, it was like, I don't know how many years ago, they, uh, New York did, did basically a gun confiscation bill at like midnight. I was still living there, so it had to have been at least eight or nine years ago at minimum. And they rushed it through so fast. It was like a high capacity magazine cap and a whole bunch of other stuff. But they rushed it through so fast that they literally made it illegal for cops to hold guns because they didn't think about the uh, the changes. And this Hochul is the same idiot standing up there talking about how it's a dark day that wants to allow anybody to kill a baby at any time. Doesn't matter when. So hypocritical. I just can't get over it. Just can't get over it. So they did all that. And this is, meanwhile, at the same time as um, the J6 committee and the FBI are raiding the home of former agency officials who were in the target of uh, the J6 committee now, which has postponed its hearings until July, the, the rest of the televised hearings. And there's a lot of speculation out there on why. A lot of me thinks that the reason that they're postponing this stuff is because, first of all, the Bannon trial is going on and they want to see what kind of meat their contempt orders hold but he's in a dc court and as we've talked about before on this show it's going to be up to the jury i mean and i think navarro's is, is case is going on too and um governor um governor you know like the, the literally the fbi is is a weaponized political assault group is what's going on and before we get too far off the supreme court they're calling for violence everywhere i have um here this is here hold on I've got this clip, a pro-abortion male screaming, speaking on behalf of women, having an opinion on the abortion, on abortion outside of the Supreme Court in D.C. Here. Where are these guys when women really need them? Here. So we demand legal nationwide abortion. If they go forward with this draft and they overturn Roe, they will make clear they are illegitimate. No, no, actually, no. And everyone with the heart for justice, everyone who loves women, who loves girls, who cares about LGBTQ siblings. What does LGBTQ have anything to do with abortion? What does that have anything to do with? What are you talking about, lady? If you are a woman and you are attracted to women, that woman that you were with is not going to impregnate you, requiring you to use abortion as birth control. Okay. As a matter of fact, being gay kind of removes the whole baby problem. Mm? Wouldn't you say? I'm just saying. Humanity. humanity. And then they invoke humanity. This just pisses me off to no end. It pisses me off so much. I'm not even paying attention to my mouth throbbing. 
this pisses me off to no end. They talk about humanity while they're begging for the, 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 the ability to be able to murder babies. I just don't get it. Here. Not the church, not the state. People must decide their fate. That baby has no power to decide its fate. Here, this one, this one, this one gets me. Uh, not safe for work because these people are all deranged morons. Regulate ejaculations. Regulate ejaculations. Regulate ejaculations. Lady, trust me. Nobody is taken there hmm, anywhere near you. Okay? Nobody. Nobody wants to be in there. Nobody wants to be doing that. Nobody needs to. Nope. You're not getting any. You're not. Nope. Mm-mm. Nope. Nope. Mm-mm. We'll see what happens today in about four minutes. You know what would be absolutely amazing is if they didn't announce this decision today. And Jane's revenge. <laughs> I just sit and wait. Oh, goodness. Absolutely stunning to me. What the, the I mean, they don't even see it. They don't even see it at all. They don't even see it at all. All right, moving on, moving on back to January 6th. So the Justice Department raided the home of Jeffrey Clark, a former agency official scrutinized in January 6th. He searched. They searched the Virginia home of Jeffrey Clark, the former Justice Department official who pushed the department and then at, at then President Trump's request to get involved in efforts to challenge the 2020 election results. Listen, if if what they're saying now which is what they've been saying, is that nobody can question a federal an election for federal office, the, the importance of which is the highest in the land, and that citizens have no recourse and the government has no duty to investigate when things have gone horribly awry, no matter how much they want to gaslight people into thinking that everything was fine and there was zero fraud. We've had arrests, for goodness sake. We are in deep, deep doo-doo. This is what they're doing. They're weaponizing the, the, quote, Justice Department against anybody who has politically dissented against them at all. Trump tried to install Clark as acting attorney general in the days before the January 6th insurrection when top Justice Department officials refused to lend credibility to his false voter fraud claims. Clark pushed agency leaders to issue a letter to states stating that they had the authority to replace electors with those who would back Trump. Guess what? They do. And if you recall back in 2016, this was the exact same thing that Democrats were doing as they rioted and destroyed Washington, D.C. It's just it's so frustrating. It's really, really frustrating. So they did that. And then Barr, of course, Barr comes in. What a disappointment. Trump came very close to staying in power. I'm not sure we would have had a transition at all. Mediaite has a, 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 an article about how Cheney played a clip of a former Trump attorney general, Bill Barr, explaining the importance of a real time Department of Justice investigation into Trump's baseless claims of voter fraud in the 2020 election. We all know they weren't baseless claims. There was plenty of evidence to back them up. There's more coming out every single day. And that brings me to this Georgia investigation that's ongoing. So the D.A. in Atlanta, after she was elected, took up this whole um, criminal investigation in Georgia into tampering with the election that allegedly 
she was looking into President Trump and his phone call saying he was looking for 11,000 votes, which is not at all what he was saying. If you read the transcript, I've dissected it in the past. It's absolute nonsense. What he was basically saying is do the right thing, dude. So Kemp is going to testify in Fulton County's Trump probe when what's her name? Ruby and her daughter traipsed out in front of that committee. I swear I said the balls. Do you remember right before January 6th, Jovan Hutton Pulitzer practically begging them to do the right thing on Twitter because clearly they were doing things they were never even they were from happy faces. They were never even supposed to be doing what they were doing. They were running. They were they were funded by private money and a contractor run by Stacey Abrams to do to do exactly what they did. Rescan 17 gazillion ballots over and over again, taking them out from underneath tables as caught on camera from the Staples Center. That video was subpoenaed from the Staples Center. That wasn't the Georgia Board of Elections that had that video. Remember, we saw it with our own two eyes and there was a Democrat senator in Georgia who was sitting there trying to tell us that didn't happen after we had just watched it. These people are insane. Anyway. Kemp will deliver testimony next month to Fulton County prosecutors investigating Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 elections. But unlike the parade of witnesses who have appeared at the Fulton courthouse to answer questions in front of a special grand jury, the Republican will instead deliver a sworn recorded statement. Now, the initial letter. Well, let's talk about what they asked for first. Among the requested documents, anything that represents, explains, and provides context about the 2020 elections and the 60 days after the certification of the electors and the rally held at the Capitol that day. Jurors are seeking any documents that shed light on what then-President Trump and his associates were thinking is doing or doing as they sought to reverse Joe Biden's narrow win in Georgia, including telephone logs, emails, texts, and other correspondence. The subpoena is, um, is here. They look for... All writings, reports, memoranda, documentary, electronic, digital, audio, video, or any informational medium or platform that records and produces an image that represents, explains, and provides context surrounding the events of the presidential election of November 2020. They're looking for anything that is associated with the 60 days after. They're looking for anything associated to January 6th. Um, Explanations of former President Trump and his representatives and persons working on behalf of the president's interests, any document that explains what Trump was thinking or doing or those working on his behalf, logs of telephone calls from the former president or anyone repping him, mailings, documents, et cetera, regarding former President Trump's efforts, his representations and individuals like this. It's just stupid. Georgia's got their own problems they should be focused on. Why is Georgia looking into what happened on January 6th? This just pisses me off. All of it. All of it. We're going to get a little lighter. Let's listen to what Carrie Lake just did to a CNN reporter. Ready? Hi. Hi. You don't have a mask on anymore. What's going we're outside. on? Do you have a wow. Well, chat? we're six feet apart. <laughs> do you have a minute to chat? Um, I'll do an interview. Okay. As long as it airs on CNN+. Plus. Does that still exist? I didn't think so, because the people don't like what you guys are peddling, which is propaganda. Thank you. Oh, Oh, gosh. I'm sorry. It's time. It's time. It's time. And that was beautiful. Just saying. Absolutely beautiful. I also have Jussie Smollett here. 
This is from Jesse Waters. It's a couple clips from a podcast he was on. Here we go. With Jesse Smollett. He's been pushing a really big lie for years. And even though we all know that he hired two African brothers to stage the hate crime hoax, he is still sticking to his story. If I had done this, I'd be a piece of Yeah. And I don't think that that is... I don't think that that is kind of, that's not really questionable. If I had done something like this, it would mean that I stuck my fist in the pain of black Americans. It would mean that I stuck my fist in the fears of the LGBTQ community. I'm not that Never have been. Don't need to be. As Biden would say, come on, man. You got off easy. Six days in jail out of a possible 150. Come clean already. Unless you're prepared to go full Costanza. Just remember, it's not a lie if you believe it. <laughs> I need the crickets. I need the cricket sound effect. Really? Really? We're going to move on. We're going to talk about uh, something Molly Hemingway published um, at The Federalist about how the Democrats are gearing up to steal the 2022 midterms. If the clip I played about the second pandemic isn't enough of an... Um, of it, a flag for you. We have this. Hold on. It's titled the White House is refusing to share. I'm sorry. It's titled. Yes, Biden is hiding his plan to rig the 2022 midterm elections. The White House is refusing to share details about its coordinated efforts to engage in a federal takeover of election administration. Now, I will say I read this article and a lot of it has to do with money that is being funneled into repurposed non-governmental organizations to then be used for voter registration drives. Now, do I think that that money is really being used to register new voters? Absolutely not. And you can tell by looking at voter registration data, they're not registering new new voters and they're certainly not registering new Democrat voters. Sorry. President Biden really doesn't want the public to know about his federal takeover of election administration. Dozens of members of Congress have repeatedly asked for details to no avail. Good government groups, members of the media, private citizens have all filed requests under FOIA. Not a single one has been responded to. All signs indicate a concerted effort to keep the public in the dark until at least after the November midterm elections. The lack of transparency and responsiveness is so bad that the Department of Justice and some of its agencies have repeatedly been sued for the information. President Biden ordered all 600 federal agencies to, quote, expand citizens' opportunities to register to vote and obtain information about and participate in the electoral process on March 7th of 2021. Republican politicians, constitutional scholars, and election integrity specialists began to worry uh, about exactly what was up his sleeve. They had good reason. The 2020 election had suffered from widespread and coordinated efforts by Democrat activists and donors to run get out the vote operations from inside state and local government election offices, predominantly in Democrat leaning areas of swing states. Independent researchers have shown that the effect of this government takeover was extremely partisan and favored Democrats overwhelmingly. They also wanted to, at the time, pass H.R. 1, which they were unable to pass because we had some holdover senators, which clearly when... When I I don't understand the 15 whose names I'm going to read, I'm just going to do it right now. But basically, this article goes on to explain how Molly Hemingway thinks that the Democrats have a secret plan to tweet or cheat tweet in 2022. Hold on a second. Here are your Republicans, quote, here are the GOP senators, quote, here are the uniparty establishment hacks, 
Blunt, Burr, Capito, Cassidy, Collins, Cornyn, Ernst, Graham, McConnell, Merck, Portman, Romney, Tillis, Toomey, Young. The House is going to vote today. I'm just going to go to the SCOTUS uh, website here. See what's going on. More opinions expected at 10. So we've got an hour. I'm recording at 9. Well, 8.30 I started. Um, I have another clip of what we really need to have in Congress right now. Myra Flores with Tucker last night. Democratic Party's coalition is exploding at the moment. Joe Biden's support among Hispanics is the lowest among any ethnic group in the United States. Who saw that coming? And the effects of it are demonstrable. So just the other day, a special election took place in the Rio Grande Valley in Texas. Myra Flores, Republican, flipped a congressional seat that Democrats have held for over a century. It's really an amazing story. She joins us for her first interview since being sworn in as a member of Congress. Congressman Flores, I really appreciate your coming on. Thank you so Thank much. You Congratulations so much. on your win. It's it's amazing. What does it mean exactly? How did you do this? It would have been unimaginable 10 years ago. <laughs> Honestly, I just focus on the issues that really matter to my district. And, yes. you know, we're all about faith, family and hard work. That's exactly who we are. And so, yeah, but I mean, it was an overwhelmingly Democratic <laughs> district. So, yeah, but, you know, we didn't have the funding before. We didn't have the funding before to get the message across our district. And now we do have the funding and the support from the Republican Party. But prior to 2020, we did not have that support. We were yes. all alone. You know, the Democrat Party took us for granted. And we also did not have the support from the Republican Party. And that's, you know, that's a that's a fact. Yeah, nobody thought it was possible. No, I think that, I think possible. that in in Washington. So <laughs> faith, family, hard work. Yes, that's who we are. That's who we've always been. You know, people tell me, Myra, why are you Republican? Weren't you born in Mexico? Well, because I was born in Mexico is that I am Republican because I was raised with strong conservative values and I'm not willing to put them aside for a political party. And I'm not loyal to a party. I'm loyal to God. I'm loyal to my family. I'm loyal to my community. And I tell the people in South Texas, who are you loyal to? Are you loyal to God or are you loyal to the Democrat Party? And they tell me, no, I'm loyal to God. Okay, well, Let's stop being loyal to a party who's done nothing for us for over 100 years. <laughs> I don't think you're allowed to say I'm loyal to God now that you're in Washington. Are you going to keep saying that? Absolutely. My loyalty is to God and, and my family. Yes, absolutely. God first all the way. That's why I won because of him, because I live in prayer every single day. <laughs> I just I just love this. Oh, I love it. Oh, look, yes, it's, it's freedom. It's it's beautiful. It's wonderful. Hey, this is this is beautiful. I, I'm serious. I love it. <laughs> like, I, I have, what a breath of fresh air. She's beautiful. She has a beautiful smile. She loves God. It is just it's just it's glorious. And I think a lot of um, a lot of people down in South Texas are very lucky to have her representing them for sure. For sure. And, you know, she's got a beautiful. She's just beautiful. I love her. <laughs> I'm glad she won. Hey, switching gears real quick. Um. Southern District, New York, Lev Parnas. Lev Parnas was the guy who worked with Giuliani, the whole Ukraine uh, scandal. He was the one who brought information in about what was really going on with Shokin, the prosecutor in the impeachment or in the Burisma case. He had been um, arrested for campaign finance stuff that was actually spurned on by an organization funded by George Soros because he stepped out of line. And 
they had convicted him. And in his in his conviction, just just recently, um, he is putting in his sentencing, you know, support for his sentencing stuff. Um, They were found guilty. There were more along with the partial mistrial. Then there was an additional guilty plea by Parnas. We were talking about this uh, when the Ukraine war stuff was hot and heavy. Um, He put his sentencing, the sentencing memo got docketed asking for time served. And the memo quotes Schiff, Nadler and Pelosi on a guideline of 63 to 78 months. He wants time served. The Democrats wanted to use him so badly and likely promised if you do this and flip, you'll get uh, you'll get a, a lighter, lighter, you know, sentence in this case. I'm going to hop in here hopefully today if I'm not, you know, l- completely destroyed after this ca- podcast because it's getting worse as the seconds tick by. Um, on March 15th, and I'm getting this from Inner City Press, by the way, amid Ukraine war, the unsealing of an indictment against Andrei M- Muraviv, a Russian citizen, charging him with making illegal political contributions as a foreign national and conspiring to make illegal political contributions in the name of straw donors. He's charged with conspiring with Parnas, Kukushkin, and Igor Fruman, who were convicted at trial or have pleaded guilty to those crimes. There's, there was just this indictment. This is the guy from overseas that did it. Um, yeah, this is interesting. I'll put this link in the show notes. I got to dissect this more. I just saw it myself. Pretty interesting. So... Anyway, a lot of information in here. I've been following this closely, so I'm glad that it's SDNY because that means that these guys do it. They do a great job in that district. They have a huge story up about what they've been doing, um, what the U.N. has done to them. They've been covering some stuff and the U.N. had basically barred them from being able to look at it. And I texted with the uh, guy the other day because I wanted to share some info that I had with him. That's what we do when we are good journalists and we find someone sharing a story and we think something might be helpful to them. I, I always say, hey, you might want to look at this. You might want to take a look over here. You might want to take a look over here. Anyway, I um, also I just want to say they're, they're always going back to this um, poll that they, they have about the January 6th stuff saying that six in 10 Americans want think that Trump should be criminally charged, which when you look into this poll that they're all using to cite now the the demographics in terms of political affiliation are omitted from the poll completely. You can't find them anywhere. You can't find them anywhere. So this this whole poll is completely it's it's nonsense. Six in 10. That means if you had 10 people in a room, six of them would think that Trump should be criminally charged. Everybody knows nobody's really paying attention to this J6 stuff. The only people that really care about J6 stuff that's going on right now are the media who are barely hanging on instead of jumping off to, to cover golf in the middle of the hearings because they're that horrible. And the, the, the Democrats who are so out of touch with reality, it's not even funny. Insane. Um, quickly over to culture. Wanted to talk quickly about um, the fallout that's continuing from the Amber Heard, Johnny Depp stuff. And I know that a lot of people think that I'm wasting my time with this, but I just want to further exemplify Rakita Law is one of the lawyer channels that was doing this coverage. They've made a lot of money over the past couple of weeks. Good for them. I have zero problem with people making money off of their hard work. Somebody wants to send in a super chat for these guys who are spending 12 to 16 hours streaming live with their analysis of a court case. More power to them. I hope they all make millions of dollars and, and retire as rich as they could like ever be. Okay. Anybody that that goes after people for making money, 
I, it just, it's socialist. And that's what I say. Anyway, so good for them for making a lot of money. I'm very proud and happy for them. Um, but what's happening now is that the legacy media is going after these channels on YouTube and causing copyright strikes and causing, you know, uh, live streaming to be, uh, you know, um, basically they, they can't stream anymore. So what is what is Rakita Law doing? He's doing everything on Rumble. He's putting things on Rumble. Now, why is that important? Again, because all of the normies who didn't realize that this was actually really happening and thought we were all crazy conspiracy theorists with tinfoil hats are headed over to what platform, folks? Rumble. They're headed to Rumble, where I can put up anything I want about vaccine injury and nobody's stopping me. So what's going to come up in suggested videos? Okay, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. So there's that. Very important the way this is shaking out. These people are cult heroes, quote, not really cult, but you know what I'm saying. In, in, in normie land now for people who had no idea how the court system worked and now are legal addicts. And the, the establishment media is coming after them and the people are on their side. And so the people will leave YouTube and follow them wherever they go. If anybody knows Rakita, I'd love to be on the show to talk about this stuff. Would love it. It would be wonderful. Um, and then I guess I'm going to end with this. Well, let's end. We'll do a clip here on vaccine injury. And it's very important. It's from the high wire show. It's about Pfizer and how they rigged the clinical trial for kids so that it would be approved. And, you know, I shared on truth social the other day, really interesting set of photos. The New York post published, um, pictures just a collection of pictures of these poor little babies being injected with the shot who are all screaming and crying. And it was, it was not positioned as a, it was positioned more like, look, they all got their shot. But every picture was these kids screaming, crying and being physically held in place so that they could be um, injected with this substance, which just breaks my heart. But they, everyone's like, why is the New York Post publishing this? And I'm like, well, the New York Post is publishing this because they're anti-vax, but they can't say it. So they want to show you. And this visual is just about enough to do it. But here's the clip of this doctor, Dr. Claire Craig on Dell Big Trees, The High Wire. Pfizer. In fact, if, you, if you're us, right, and somebody comes to you and says, I want to test this drug on thousands of children, we're going to say why, right? Why? What, what are you trying to achieve? Because without knowing what you're trying to achieve, we don't know what to measure. But of course, Pfizer's looking at this from a different perspective. And so they set out to get a positive result. And the way they did that was to say, well, let's not look at a clinical outcome as a primary measure. Let's look at antibody blood tests as a primary measure, because we're pretty sure we can make that work. So their protocol from the outset was that they would measure antibody levels and they were going to compare these to the antibody levels from older people who've been in other trials and say, if the levels are similar, that must mean it works, right? In their opening paragraph in their own report on effectiveness, they say um, immunobridging, which is this comparing the antibody levels, does not have to be scientifically established to predict, predict protection, but should be clinically relevant to the disease. So they've already admitted that, you know, it's not not about protection. It's just a measure that they fancy using. And then they go on saying, which is completely truthful, there is no specific neutralizing antibody titer that has been established to predict protection against COVID-19, which is absolutely true. So this is a measure that is 
arbitrary, but it's relatively easy for them to hit the target. So what they're saying basically is if the, you produce antibodies from the from the vaccine, they're taking this group of kids in the study that they've inoculated. They're comparing their antibody uh, titer to those people outside of that study who have also been vaccinated and saying that if it comes close, then the vaccine is successful. But what they're also saying in the same breath is that we don't know if those antibodies even protect against COVID at all. So it's a useless, useless, useless Russian roulette with your life. And now with kids' lives, completely useless, absolutely ridiculous. And now we're going to end on this. There was a book recommended to children age 11 in Chicago. I was sixth grade English teacher sends out a summer reading material, including gender queer. Okay. Hopefully everybody can see this. Yep. 11 years old. Hopefully you like this. Yeah. What she's showing is pictures that are sketched into the video of boys performing oral oral on boys of it's just it's disgusting i'll put the link in the show notes if you want to disgust yourself on a friday afternoon it's up to you i mean i'm not going to dictate what you guys do but if you want to frustrate yourself on a friday afternoon and get really angry you can look in the show notes and find the freaking pictures disgusting crap you guys over there because you guys make the, the decisions over there Okay, 11-year-old. Disgusting. Alright. Now, from this book, brother talking to sister. So you never tasted yourself? Sister shows brother vagina slime. That there's words blowjob, gay shit. This is exactly what I would expect a pedophile to behave when approaching a child to normalize sexual behavior, to abuse them. And this is how I see you. Stop sexualizing our kids. Stop abusing them. And they are sexualizing our kids and they are abusing them. No 11th and 12th grader needs to see that filth. None, zero, zip, zilch. Before I go today, I do have something else to say. And I actually made it about 49 minutes. Good for me. A little less, but good for me. Give me a high five. <laughs> I'm going to go collapse in bed now for the rest of the day and hopefully read some more of the Schulte case, which, by the way, is ongoing. Yesterday, the government filed a classified letter about some concerns they have about how the trial's going. And they're going to they're going back into court today to continue. Schulte, again, is the alleged Vault 7 leaker. Um, they're going back into court today to continue. He's continuing to defend himself in this case, cross cross examining witnesses, et cetera, so on and so forth. And um, I would they're going to have a, a a basically a, a classified briefing after the trial is done today because the things that the government raised are confidential, apparently, and cannot be discussed in public, which is the antithesis of what our justice system is supposed to be. If you're the government, you can do anything that you want. But again, um, I talked about this on on Wednesday. We had a fantastic day with it. Um, you guys can go to fundfreely.com slash beans. The America Project is raising money, which it is dispersing to numerous groups that are doing good work on the ground to fight against the crap that we're up against from the establishment uniparty and the crazy freaking Soros funded left. And that money goes to your neighbor 
if they've started a grassroots initiative to help fight against this garbage on a very micro local, you know, sort of a sort of an um, an, way, excuse my French fundfreely.com slash beans. It's there's just go to the website. You'll see everything. It's really amazing. And I'm glad to be supporting it. Also, go to local so you can get our pre-show uncoverdc.locals.com. Make sure that you check out um, the support tiers at Uncover DC as well, because we can't do this if we don't have enough money to keep the lights on. And it does cost money. And I appreciate you guys and your support so much. Um, I'll be back on Monday with Frank. And hopefully over the weekend, this mouth will mend. And I'll be back in the in the saddle with no jaw pain and uh, we'll be we'll be off to the races. You have been listening to the Dark Delight podcast with beans. You can hear us every Monday, Wednesday and Friday at 2.30 Eastern time on TuneIn, Stitcher, Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify and on RadioInfluence.com. We will see you back here on Monday. I'm Jerry Petock, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out RadioInfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com. <laughs>